0: Welcome to the latest episode of the Brushflowers Union podcast. I'm your host and general president of the Builders Union, Simon Berman. This month, I am joined by Brinton from Huge Miniatures or hugeminis.com. Uh, Huge Minis makes some really great hobbies, stuff some great paint. I've been using them extensively myself for uh, over a year now, and I'm, I'm trying to get Brinton on for a minute. I'm really excited to talk to him. So, uh, Brinton, thanks for joining me, man.
1: Yeah. Hi, Simon. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm honored to have been invited to be part of this.
0: Yeah, it's my pleasure. You know, um... I've uh, we've we've got a great thing where you know we, you know, we worked out a uh, discount for Brush Holders Union members, and that's something I really only do for um, products that I believe in and have tried myself. Uh, and you know, I, I'm really impressed with your your basing materials. I use them on two of my big armies and projects right now, and uh, you know, it's it's stuff I think is really cool, and I'm excited to hear more about what goes into all that.
1: Yeah, totally. It was uh, it was nice to meet you last year at Adepticon, and uh, yeah, to be able to offer a discount to your members was uh, a no brainer, just to better help be part of the community very cool and much appreciated
0: so uh yeah Brent, tell me a little bit about yourself you know what's your what's your background in uh miniatures gaming
1: yeah so i guess it is relevant to this so i'll go a little bit into my background when i was younger um when i was probably i don't know uh 12 12 or so um i got me some photo editing tools on my computer And I would make um, signatures uh, on message boards that I was part of. If you're familiar with that, like uh, underneath your post. Oh yeah. Typically, people would have like little images. Uh huh. Uh, And so that's kind of how I got into like graphic design, which eventually led me to where I'm at now. But uh, I got like really into that, and I was like doing like competitive like signature making competitions. Extremely nerdy and weird, but uh, regardless, that sort of like led me into um, what would eventually be uh, a short education in graphic design um, and sort of just like the launching pad for me being more artistically creative physically. Um, I mean, I guess, including on a computer, it's sure. not exactly physical, but, you know, you can design a label or something or uh, a label or a, an art print and print that out. Yeah, yeah. It becomes physical at that point. Um, so yeah, um, I went to college for a couple of years, had a couple of jobs uh, in the industry when I was um, 21, that's when I started working professionally, and eventually uh, I got laid off from a job. I was a contractor for three years for a company, and I was just painting generally, like before then, miniatures for board games. Mm-hmm. Um I, at, at this point now, I've been playing Pathfinder, the tabletop role-playing game, starting with first edition for over a decade, um, but I, I had never really painted miniatures. It wasn't until like, the Kickstarter miniature board game craze sort of happened.
0: Yeah, early 2010s, uh, and, right?
1: Yeah, and, and I started kind of collecting that stuff and then painting up the models for my board games. Um, I never really was into tabletop wargaming, gaming, um, and I dabble with it a little bit more now, uh, just due to the nature of like collecting models and painting them uh-huh. but as far as like rule sets I've never really delved too deep into any of them um, But anyway, so yeah, I was laid off and I was making kind of just supplies um, for myself to make trees for my Pathfinder games and I noticed that there was kind of like a break in the market and um, where people were requesting things like cherry blossom flock in the Facebook groups I was in uh-huh. and I was already making it for myself and I had just gotten laid off for my job and I was applying for other office gigs in the area and I just really wasn't stoked with any of them. Sure. Uh, so I was like, okay, it's, it's a stretch certainly to like start a company just based on like cherry blossom flock. Right. <laughs> so I've rounded that out with some other colors, um, like more naturey colors. And complemented that with like static grass blends and launched the Kickstarter. uh, What was that? November 2017, I think, Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And that was just to gauge whether or not I thought starting such a niche business would be practical. Yeah. And it was basically, yeah, just to purely gauge interest, not necessarily to raise a bunch of money to start a company. Sure, sure. Because, you know, yeah. That is not necessary for the type of product that we create. On like yeah, it's
0: scale. it's funny. My, my, my old boss Matt Wilson at Privateer Press, uh, you know, he once said that, that Kickstarter is, you know, it's it's the, maybe the only true and valuable form of, of market research, right? It, it's the people either they want it or they don't, and they put their money where their mouth is, or they don't.
1: Yeah, it is really incredible. Like crowdfunding is today is kind of insane, and there's massive companies that still just launch project after project like Cool Mini on Kickstarter and just do tremendously well. But for someone like me, didn't have a ton of money saved up or anything, just enough to like kind of pay my bills for a short while while I start the company and yeah. see if I can't make it take off or do, do well enough to sustain itself. Um, without Kickstarter, yeah, it would not have been possible whatsoever for this to happen. Um, but needless to say, uh, it was successful enough for me to want to move forward with it. So I took all my graphic design and web design skill, and started an e-commerce platform and launched those kickstarter products on our website after they were all fulfilled and have kind of just been rolling from there
0: very cool yeah that no, I
1: mean, was a bit like dis- disjointed and a little rambly for like a background but oh no yes, no that's yeah. great
0: i guess this this the, the foliage kind of the um the tree foliage right like the for the cherry tree blossom stuff
1: yeah we we call it loose foliage but uh,
0: it's just a form of
1: foam flocking material.
0: I'm actually interested in this because I feel like if you're the average mentors hobbyist, you know, you're surrounded by tufts and, and foliage and stuff like that. But like, I don't us actually you know how it gets made.
1: <laughs> so we have refined our processes at this point to be able to manufacture things in like it's a, a practical way. Um, but it's it's actually kind of crazy. So like I would just watch YouTube videos back in the day. That's how I learned to make it myself. And you yeah. get some foam and you put it in a blender. Uh, and like that's like the packing long foam. End. Um so there's a certain type of foam uh, that works better, and you can use different foam, but yeah. Um and run that through a blender and chop it up and put some paint on it and dye it, and there you go. Okay. And that's that's really how uh the first run of our product was all done so i would buy giant sheets of foam and cut them down into little cubes with a razor blade and Uh run through a blender Wow! and it's it's kind of wild so i had two like commercial blenders that i bought and that allowed me to produce enough to fulfill all of the kickstarter uh, kickstarter pre-orders uh, and it wasn't until I had to make more stock for our inventory to continue selling on our website that, like, both blenders just immediately stopped working. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, geez. And then I bought two more, and they both broke. I'm like, I cannot even believe that I made it through, like, the production period to get huh. this stuff for our first Kickstarter actually finished without these things just failing on me. Right on. But really, I mean, I mean really, that's, that's what it is. It's uh, a certain type of foam. Yeah. grind it up, and dye it, and the way that we do it now is on a larger scale, but it's not extremely different sure. from that. Just bigger, bigger equipment and more powerful motors.
0: Right on. So yeah, I mean, now you've got this really big product line. Um, you know, as far as the the foliage stuff, the thing that I really love and I use extensively myself are your uh, your four in one scatter bundles, or not four in one, the, the scatter, um, uh, the mixed scatters, like you have your your meadow scatter or your bog scatter and stuff. And yeah. I think- so. I I just love that because it it saves me the trouble of having to mix up my own interesting textures, right?
1: Yeah, totally. So that's kind of a fun, just little weird happenstance sort of a product because I think that's... We launched it when COVID just started locking things down and people couldn't go out. Um, And a lot of manufacturers were having difficult times shipping because people couldn't come into work to fill things. And so we already have our Static Grass and our loose foliage and uh, our basing materials and all of the scatter are just a combination of those. Yeah. So you can like pull up any of those individual product pages for whichever one and there's links to each of those like four components that create those.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And so that was things that we already had on hand that we could just repackage in containers that we were already using for our basing material. Sure. And then allow for people to get like a variety of scenery in like a single jar save on some cash you know at that point in time things were extremely uncertain Uh, and it's like it it just sort of came together very organically in that way and yeah it ended up being very popular no it's very
0: cool i use your um your bog scatter on my uh, Barons war miniatures actually that's my my standard basings i think i use your mud paste the mud texture paste and then i add a little bog scatter on top of it
1: nice heck yeah and so like i like that those products, and a lot of our products, really just can be used in tandem, uh, and it just makes things quick and simple. So, like, the texture paste, put a little layer down, take a pinch of scatter, and just kind of, like, push it in there,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: tap the excess off, and, like, you're good to go. You can yeah. be more meticulous if you choose to, but you really don't have to, because um, you can still get a pretty cool effect just like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, like like I said, I, I that's that's my recipe for painting my Barons uh, War stuff, which is, you know, it, it's pretty quick and simple. Yeah. Um, but I also use your stuff for my, my Sons of Horus army, and I think I use your desert paste. Um, and then I let that dry, and then I do some washes and dry brushing on top of that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's versatile stuff for sure. I'm really impressed with it.
1: Nice. Heck, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, if if you posted that or any of those models on Instagram or something, I'll have to check that out.
0: I did. I think I actually tagged you in one of them, but uh, I'll, I'll send you a link later on. Sweet. Yeah. But uh, yeah so I mean so you kind of your 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 MO is you're you're in the hobby space and you're looking around to to fill niches is that kind of what you're doing at this point?
1: Um I mean not necessarily.
0: Uh, so
1: this whole industry is extremely niche and making modeling supplies for small scale models it's extremely niche. Yeah, uh-huh. more so than trains like to to a certain degree sure. just as far as like public familiarity. Um, so like often like people will just ask like, oh, what do you do? Or like, what is this huge miniature things? And I just tell them that we make art supplies, uh-huh. but which, which isn't untrue necessarily. Um, but as far as like the products that we release and the lines that we release, I, I genuinely just try to make things that I want to use myself. And if I can do it to a certain standard of quality and get a method in place for actually producing it, um, sustainably then I'll just I'll just uh, release it basically sure um and that's really how a lot of this stuff just came to be it, it isn't necessarily like trying to do market research and see like what's what are people like really stoked on right now and like how can we do our version of that uh I'm just sort of doing what I want to do
0: <laughs> sure yeah that's cool so I mean the, the texture paste stuff is great um how did how did that come about for you guys
1: uh, yeah, so that actually was kind of an accident. Uh, okay. Completely frank. Um, so I was trying to figure out a way to make um, like a powdered snow type product. Uh-huh. Um, and as I was experimenting with that, I had like kind of solutions for like multi-part um, things where you would like mix up a little bit of this with this and then kind of sprinkle this on top and cool. And that was fine, but it was a little complicated. And then I found that by using kind of like some of the base materials for creating the snow effect that I would just happen to be experimenting with, uh, I was able to create like a a nice type of base that I can then add different grits and colors to. And now you have like desert and mud and dirt and Martian and snow. Yeah. Um, And so actually all of those, that whole, our whole line of texture paste, they are all different. There, it's not just the same base recipe with, like, a different tint to it. Yeah, yeah, I've um, noticed that. So they are, they are all unique in that sense, um, but the way that they actually came to be was accidental, just trying to experiment with coming up with a cool snow product. So it's sort of weird how that works out like that.
0: Yeah, kind of a happy accident. Yeah, totally. To quote Bob Ross um that's cool yeah you know, it, it's funny every time i go to order more stuff from you i find you've got like three new products i hadn't noticed before like you get your scenery highlights and, and so many things at this point it's it's wild Is does a lot of that come sort of by accident or
1: um so it it is all right so with some products that we sell like you had mentioned the scenery highlight so i wanted to release some trees because i've tried my hand at making trees a bunch of different ways Starting with like woodland scenics armatures and sure. stretching um, like polyfill over top of it and doing it that way. And it's a little cumbersome. So I brainstormed a way to have like a tree product and eventually ended up like sourcing a bunch of armatures from a company in China, which is like one of the only things that we don't actually make in house. Oh, yeah. Um, and that would complement our foam. Because, you know, we just sell loose foam, foam flock, and then, you know, you have to supply the armature. So I like, okay, if we've got the trees to complement the foam, then I want to add something more to that to make the trees look even more cool. So that's how the scenery highlight came about.
0: Um, yeah, I, one of the things I really like about your products is um, how comprehensive things are. You know, if, if I'm looking for a basin solution, I'm not just going to go... And look for a texture paint. Probably you guys have a texture paint, and as I mentioned, you know, a basing flock or a mix that I like or a static grass. And I'm curious, you know, at, at this point do you do a lot of planning for like, you know, creating a sort of similar in the way that Citadel paints have like their three-step thing where you've got your base, your layer, and your shade. Do you do you think about your basing stuff in that kind of way at this point? Um
1: No, not necessarily. So I think my philosophy behind how products get created is generally so we started off with just a couple things, just like flock and set of grass. And it's like, all right, that will only get you so far. People are only so interested in that. And as far as this already being sort of a niche type of industry, uh, those products are like on the farthest end of the niche spectrum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm constantly just trying to like, like fill gaps and add new things that just sort of go from there and it just happens pretty organically. So as far as like coming up with, a multi-step process where like, okay, we've got the texture paste and then you've got the grass tufts and now you you have like some static grass you can add to that. Uh, Like truthfully, I think none of that was like conceived to be like a multi-step thing where you can sort of use them all together. Yeah. It was just like, okay, well, we have – so we did the the static grass and flock, the loose foliage, and then after that was grass tufts and flowers – which actually was really huge for us because without, without that product line, we, we probably wouldn't exist.
0: The flowers, flowers are cool. cool.
1: Yeah, thank you. It, just with the amount of momentum that that gave us. Um, but then it's like, okay, now you've got like a black plastic base and you've got some flowers instead of grass, but now you're missing the ground texture. So that's where sort of like creating the snow product that led into texture paste
2: mm-hmm.
1: sort of just naturally tied all those things together. But I, it, like I said, that happened accidentally, so it wasn't even yeah. really like, like planned out that way. Um, but now that we have kind of like a breadth of products throughout like different ranges, now it's filling in those gaps, sure, to a certain extent.
0: So, speaking of the tufts, how are tufts produced? How, how do you actually manufacture those?
1: So, the way that we did it for our Kickstarter um, is different from how we do it now, which. I'm not going to say exactly how we make them presently,
2: sure.
1: but I can tell you that during the Kickstarter, uh, it was a tremendous amount of effort, yeah. uh, and I was coming up, I was trying to come up with, and brainstorm, just like engineering solutions to how to do these things, and I've I've got a 3D printer, and I know how to do 3D design and stuff, and so toyed around with like different fittings for squeezing glue out of a bottle to like put a certain number of dots down on a sheet of paper. Um, and that ended up to some degree being how we did the whole first run for the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And, and for some time, even after that, uh, we still used that method. And to actually, so the flowers are all the same color base. Like they're just the stems. I think that's pretty obvious if you just look at them. Sure. I think that works fine. Uh, And then we add like the flower tops to it. And those are all different colors. But to make the actual tufts, there was that like fitting for a bottle that had a certain number of dots. So you put it down on the paper. Mm -hmm. And then I made two handmade static grass applicators uh, that we used to create all of those. And I was doing, I was doing almost all of it. I did almost all of it myself. And then my, my girlfriend at the time, my present day wife she she was like dude you need some help <laughs> so uh-huh. <laughs> she she volunteered her time and helped me like finish out the rest of the run to fulfill that kickstarter and when we were finished honestly i didn't want to raise as much money for that as we did because it ended up just being like way more work than i was expecting oh sure but there was no way that i was not going to follow through with it right it's just, it's just like apart from apart from the business and wanting to have that continue to be sustainable it's just it's, it's within my nature to just to to see things through like no matter what yeah um and so that ended up being extremely popular sold way more than i actually wanted to make and yeah. and when that was all done i i had to come up with a different way to to manufacture those yeah. products because it just was not sustainable at all Sure. So I went through a couple of different versions, at, which eventually led to what we use right now, which I can't really share exactly what that is. Sure. Yeah, I understand. But to, to start off, it was just a lot of creative thinking and just an insane amount of work, really. And then a, a tiny bit of technical know-how with um, creating like the Static Grass application wands, basically, which is what I used.
0: Uh-huh. That's cool. Actually, Speaking of manufacturing, so you're based in the U.S., right? Yeah, out of
1: Ohio, um, That's... and we just moved to a new space, which uh, is just kind of uh, surreal, honestly.
0: Yeah, is this your first, like, real dedicated uh, manufacturing space?
1: Yeah, so... Um, I want to hear all about it. Tell me. Yeah, so when you asked me initially, it was last year to be on this podcast, um, I was a little apprehensive, not necessarily because I have a problem, like, speaking to people or talking about what we do. Um, But more so because I didn't want to have to answer the question and tell people that we were working out of our home. Um, And we had like probably 800 square feet of space dedicated to the business in our Uh home. And it just, it took over everything. And we were always surrounded by our business. Um, Eventually, my wife, Roxanne, ended up joining on with the company full time. Nice we're just always surrounded by our stuff and it was taking over our house. We had no space. And, uh, it got to a point where it's like, there's, we can't take advantage of paying for like the rent for our business and the rent for our house together anymore. Oh, sure. Uh, Yeah. We had to find a space for it. Um, and so, yeah, we were searching for a few months and eventually found this, this space in Berea, Ohio not too far from where we live. And we moved in here not even like two weeks ago. Um, or actually today, two weeks ago is when we moved in. Very cool. And it's a like 3,000 square foot warehouse space with a little bit of office, Wow. Which I'm sitting in right now.
0: That's great. So, so what does that look for you as far as manufacturing? Do you like stations for your various products or, or how's that going to work? Yeah.
1: So how, how we were able to get away with doing it out of a house, which I think it is... It's important and compelling to to tell this story and to just to just let people know that we were working out of our home. And, yeah, sure.
0: And I think it's very common, very relatable like, for a lot of our listeners.
1: Right, for sure. Like so, so if you're interested in starting a business, you shouldn't really be overly concerned with how you're going to rent a space to do it. Depending on what it is you're trying to do, sure. Um, just like just do it and get started at it, and things will just sort of fall into place from there. But Basically, I'm extremely organized um, and a little bit anal about certain things. And we had shelves in multiple rooms with things just stacked up to the ceiling on the walls. Um, Half of our, our garage, we have a like it's like a two and a half car garage, basically, like one and a half. Uh, of the section of the garage was dedicated to like shelving for containers and packaging and stuff like that uh-huh. um, shelves and multiple rooms with things. And when we would need to set up to do something, we'd like set tables up, pull things off the shelves, wheel everything out uh, and then put everything away so that we could still live there. <laughs> sure. Um, so it's a little wild. Um, but even being extremely organized, uh, yeah, we, we just ran out of space.
0: Yeah. No, I feel you. Uh, you know, I, 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 I run a publishing company um, in, my spare time, well, in my spare time. One of the, one of the things, many things I do is I run a small publishing company and, you know, most of that is out of my house, too, at this point. You know, I, I got my, my basement's part of my storage and, you know, uh, my, my partner, Nicole, she's setting up a, uh, her, her newest print shop in the basement right now. So we've got, you know, it's, it's, it's a struggle, but, you know, we're making it work.
1: Oh, that is excellent. Heck, yeah. Right. And like, I think it's cool for people to know that, that like these businesses that on, on the surface seem like very reputable and uh, you know, there's a reason for that. Like you've earned that reputation, uh, that it is just like normal people, um, doing normal things. And sometimes they do cool things and it's out of their home. But what allows for us and me to allow this business to be sustainable is the fact that our expenses are low. So yeah we can remain competitive in the space um, and at the very least until you grow big enough uh, to to rent a dedicated area for for the business
0: yeah absolutely you know I, I when I lived in an apartment in Seattle for many years you know I, I used to uh, rent warehouse space downtown but you know now, now I we moved to Coleman I have the luxury of a basement to store my stock so but uh, you know it, it's funny I feel like there's a certain perception for people that you know if your business is growing you have to and being successful, you have to, you have to you should be getting more warehouses and offices and such. And for me, it was actually quite the opposite where I was like, oh, I can cut that overhead. I'll do that in a
1: second. Oh, yeah, totally. Right. It just makes more sense in that way. Um, and then to some degree, you can be more competitive in the space and even potentially release a higher quality product, too, because you don't have to worry about um, additional expenses. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Like but on the other top the biggest one. Yeah, <laughs> But on the other hand, I think it's very cool. You know, you've expanded to the point where you have to expand and get that, that dedicated workspace. And that's, that's, that's always a really exciting moment for a, a small company.
1: And yeah, terrifying, absolutely. Right? <laughs> well, it, it, it is not cheap to... Even like the initial, just the initial moving expenses and all the things that you realize mm-hmm. you actually need to set up the new space properly. Like, we, we used our home computers um, for work, but now that, you know, I'm not at home anymore. Yeah, uh, I need, like, s- suitable things to do, like, management and design work on. Uh, and, you know, among many other expenses, like shelving and stuff like that. Sure, yeah.
0: Man, industrial shelving is not cheap either.
1: <laughs> no, it's not. And shockingly so. <laughs> it's kind of, like, frustrating, too, is that even simple things like internet, if, if you're a business, it's just twice as expensive. Oh, yeah. For no other reason.
0: Yeah, they get you over the barrel. Yeah, I mean, it kind of comes out in the end because you you do get to write it all off, right? But like, still, it sucks. For sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's super cool. So you know, it has has having this new facility is it giving you any ideas for things that you know you weren't able to do before, or it hadn't occurred to you that you could be able to do? Uh, but now it's 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 sort of broadened your horizons. Well, I mean, not necessarily.
1: At least it hasn't quite hit me yet. I mean, we were at capacity, so we were out of space. Sure. So when it comes to keeping more backstock of our products, there's just nowhere to do that. So now we have the area to do that, um, more space for shelving, things of that nature. And one of the things that, that was really frustrating working from our house is that there's just limited surface area. Yeah. So when you were finished with a task, you had to, like by the end of the day, if something different needed to get done tomorrow you had to finish that task and clean up your your work surface you can't like leave things out for a day or two while you're working on something yeah yeah so having extra surface area uh certainly is beneficial here
0: yeah so it's just kind of more breathing room in general
1: yeah and and two i think there there's something to be said especially with with COVID, there's been a lot of work from home and people that yeah. ordinarily wouldn't have had the opportunity to work from home now get to take advantage of that, which which is excellent. Um, but because of my circumstances, just being in like graphic and web design, I had a lot of opportunity from the onset to work from home. It's my first corporate like job, my first professional career job. Uh-huh. They offered like you could just work from home two days a week. Yeah. Uh, and so every job that I had after that the couple in the industry in like the the web design industry uh eventually I transitioned to like working from home, home full time and then working with this business from home full time for like 5 years now being in a dedicated office space or like a warehouse space um kind of just makes me feel like so tremendously much more motivated yeah. to like continue to push this forward to the best of my ability and uh, to be uh, inspired to create new things.
0: No, I'm, I'm sure the sense of ownership is really gratifying and having seen it, it grow into that kind of like real, you know, uh, warehouse facility, right? No, I mean, it It
1: genuinely is. And I, I made a couple of posts when we were moving and I try to be a sincere person. I don't really put like my face out there so much. Sure. Um, just because I would rather have kind of just the brand be represented by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, sometimes I, I do write sort of like heartfelt posts and stuff and, when I posted the one about us moving uh, it was just extremely surreal to think about the fact that we've gotten to this point um, and it's been basically shoestringed uh, the whole way. Um, no investment, like no savings, just yeah. yeah, getting by by doing it and no, really no advertising other than just posting on social media uh, and then having like people purchase our products, use them, enjoy them so much that on their own volition they choose to share that um to you know their friends and their family and their followers and and their community and we've been able to to grow like basically just through word of mouth which is kind of tremendous to me um and i am extremely grateful for everyone that chooses to you know even just comment and say uh like this looks really neat like. I like what you're doing or to share your pictures and tag us in it so that we can see what's going on. Uh, I mean, that's, that's massive. Uh, and I think it, it, it's, it can't be understated how tremendous the community like legitimately is, was, and still is to us being able to grow to this point to even have this new facility to work out of.
0: No, I believe it. Cause you know, I, again, I think your products, you know, they really do speak for themselves. The quality is really there. They're innovative. Like, you know, I'm looking at, um, your debris tufts right now, which are really really cool. I haven't seen anything like that before. It, it was it's really quite brilliant to mix you know some some mixed debris in with the tufts, so they don't quite look as like fresh like plants. And I think that's that's it's so cool. You have them in a variety of colors too. That kind of stuff yeah, is thanks. is really awesome. So that that was like kind of just easy to do, and it just came
1: together because we already had the 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 flock fibers for our grass. We just already had like the normal tufts. So, and then we released basing materials, which you can. You know, I think those are linked on the Debris tough product pages, too. So you can, like, get oh, yeah. that and add that to your scene in a more significant manner than just it being part of the tubs. It's like, okay, we'll just combine the two. And if you don't want to purchase, like, the normal color grass Tufts and the Debris separate, well, you can just get them combined here. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't, like, too too expensive or too much of a stretch, really, to just mash them together. <laughs> it just made sense to me
0: no it's cool and again you know it, it it saves me some some trouble not just in terms of like shopping but also in like you know dressing up the tufts on my base and stuff i, I it's great you and you got the mossy ones and all the various uh colors and and you know snowy ones and stuff i it's it's, it, it's a real quality of life thing that I really appreciate and I feel like that that speaks to a lot of your products yeah thank you
1: um that that kind of is sort of like the idea behind it I think in my mind is to make things easy for people um And I won't get into the whole speed paints thing (laughs) because it's kind of a trend that I don't want to jump on. Sure. It's pretty pretty full market at this point too. I'm not saying that we won't ever do a product like that, but that's not on the roadmap for us. Uh, As far as like making things easy, because I don't really like using them. Uh, But I generally tend to just make products that I think are neat and would want to use because it improves my processes as... Uh, as like a modeler and as an artist,
0: no, that's great. Actually, speaking of paints, I'd like to talk about your paints. You've got a growing and very cool line. Um, I haven't really messed with them myself yet, but I, you, you've got some fluorescent uh, acrylic paints which look awesome, and I'm dying to find the right project to use them with. So, uh, tell me about your paints.
1: Yeah, thank you. So, um, when I when I like first kind of conceived of this company, it's kind of weird. Like, a tiny little tangent here. Uh, yeah, go for it. I've wanted to start a company and run a company and be behind it and the brand and like all the design and stuff for many years, far before I actually did start huge miniatures. Um, and so when I was kind of just brainstorming, like, should I launch this first Kickstarter? I was like, okay, we need a good like brand name. We need a good domain name first. And for whatever reason, huge miniatures, just it being like funny and contradictory crossed my mind. And sure. I, I was, and Every comp, well, not every, many companies in this industry just have the word miniatures. So it's, it's very colloquially shortened as minis and yeah. hugeminis.com was available. And I was like, no way, no huh. one, no one's thought of that or reserved. It seems that. like no a no brainer, now. right? Yeah, exactly. And like, funny enough, I was like, okay, we have to do it now. That's just, it's too good. It's too good to not take advantage of. No, but, uh, so anyways, um, so I was like brainstorming the the product releases for the first Kickstarter, and once that sort of like came together, and I could tell like I'm gonna give this trying to grow this business like a legitimate shake, it was always kind of a pipe dream for me to release a line of paints, and of course Kickstarter made it possible um, to actually raise those funds initially to buy all the, the supplies, most particularly pigments, which are just outrageously expensive. Oh, sure. When you buy them in bulk. Um, so I wanted to release paints, but I didn't want to just do the same thing as every other company, which the market's already saturated for paints. And so the way that I make ours, I refer to them as like medium body paints where you have like heavy body, like, artist acrylics, which are very thick and you Mm -hmm. can use those with, you know, thicker flat artist brushes and whatnot for canvas work. But I wanted to take like some of those principles and apply that to model paint. It was actually when I first started painting miniatures, I used a, like a set of Liquitex, um, like artist acrylics in the tubes. Um, and I always had great success with that. Um, before I like went on to buy like more purpose, made model paints for scale modeling so i wanted to sort of combine like those elements to make them more heavy bodied or or i refer to them as medium body because they're not quite so thick like artist acrylics sure that way you can thin them down to a consistency uh that is preferable for you um and then actually picking out the ranges of colors that i wanted to use Of course, depends on the pigments that you have availability to. um, But also, like, covering a dynamic enough spectrum of colors that you can basically, like, purchase sets from us. And if you don't own any paints initially, we got you covered. Sure. Uh, But if you are, like, a paint hoarder, like a lot of people are, Yeah, I think that's a common Uh, problem around here. And you find that you actually really like this brand or we're doing something different enough with our paints that it merits spending that extra money on another set of paints of which colors you might already have. Um, So that was kind of the idea behind it. Um, And yeah, so our paints, I would say, anyone can use. Obviously, anyone can use any paints, but... They are designed to be catered towards more intermediate painters, I suppose. Okay. So I use a wet palette. I use a Masterson wet palette because I like their paper. It's really thick. And sure, you could just buy Masterson palette paper and use that on any wet palette. Um, so I designed all of our paints to be used with that palette because that's what I paint with. So mm-hmm. that palette is already designed generally for quote-unquote, fine arts, Uh, and that actually just happens to translate and work really well with our paints. Um, And then it is recommended that you use a wet palette with it, though you don't necessarily have to. You can just put it on, you know, a piece of tile or whatnot and thin it down that way. Um, Yeah. But a wet palette is just such a – it's an inexpensive purchase, and it's such a tremendous quality of life improvement that if you're doing any form of, like, significant painting – um, or taking it seriously at all. You probably already own one. Sure, already. yeah. And so, yeah, I wanted to release a range of colors that were different enough from what already exists in the market so that we can then like fill more gaps in our product range. Now you can paint and base a miniature. I, I mean, heck, you can even do joint filling now because we released some liquid green stuff.
0: Yeah, next. I saw that. Um,
1: so, yeah, kind of just like, fill in those gaps and make it different enough that it's uh it's actually like worth considering as as another option to add to your paint arsenal
0: oh, that makes sense to me um I, I think the paints really excite me as i mentioned before, your your neon or fluorescent paintball what, what can you tell me about those because they, they're they're so saturated and bright you know what, what goes into that
1: yeah so i'm glad that you you mentioned that again because you know i lost my train of thought for <laughs> a moment there so we've got the it's the core values range which i thought was just kind of clever like corporate speak core sure. values yeah uh, whatever. <laughs> you know it's it's relevant still uh, in regards to color um but those are all like pretty extremely bright colors um and i very much appreciate like extremely deep shadows and extremely bright highlights just just a personal style preference sure. and so you can take like the cardinal red, which is already extremely bright, which is just a beautiful paint, by the way. I love it. It's one of my yeah. favorites of our range. Um, and you can take that. It's already extremely bright, but without having any desire to use like UV or have fluorescence on your models, just due to the nature of the fluorescent pigments, you can take radar red, for instance, which is our fluorescent red, and highlight over top the cardinal red, which is already extremely bright. And it, it stands out like quite noticeably. Um, which creates for a really awesome extreme highlighting effect.
0: Yeah. A real push in your face, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. So when I made the line of fluorescence, I honestly, I don't really, I have no interest in using them for their UV purposes. They just happen to be extremely bright.
0: Sure. What, what, what do you like to use them for?
1: Oh, just extreme highlighting. Yeah. Like yeah. I mentioned there.
0: So not really a paint that you would, you would do a base color with, but it's there to, to do a, um, do extreme highlights and maybe a little detailing I
1: and mean, such. You sh- you sure could, but no, that's not how I use them. However, I have seen some people um, on Instagram use them uh, and just do like extremely vivid, vibrant, like paint color schemes, and they they look quite exceptional, uh, like in their own right and not tacky whatsoever. You yeah. know, sometimes it can look tacky, of course, but sure. there's some artists that are doing like extremely cool things with fluorescents. Um, where it's like it's it is kind of its own art style.
0: Yeah. I bet you could maybe get some cool effects like by, by painting them over uh, metallics too maybe.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. Or so you can take like a metallic paint and tint that with a color too. And you could probably sure. get something cool cool going on with that as well. That's kind of and what and I was heck, I should have said really. Okay, yeah, and you could even make a glow if you wanted. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So you, you guys have your own metallic range. You've got a you've got a wash range as well. Is that correct? Yeah, we have a set of uh, ink washes as well. That's cool. So what what kind of gaps were you looking to fill with your washes? Uh, literally, just gaps. Literally, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, I mean, as far as like
0: hues and colors and so forth, though. So it's
1: important, I think, generally. A lot of times when things get washed, it's like dark browns um, and blacks, just Earth to tones, add shadows. Yeah. So having like initially. I launched eight washes and they were all extremely dark as, as dark as I could get them really, um, to just act as, you know, purely just a low light, a low light yeah. wash. Uh, and then, which is nice. Uh, obviously that's like what most people use washes for. I think. Sure. Um, you could glaze with them, but generally it's used for just low lighting. And then I added, uh, aqua and yellow, which is like a teal colored and the yellow washes is orange but that's meant to be a wash over top of yellow uh so to bring in shadows for more lighter colors um and not necessarily just like purely deep dark shadows Mm -hmm. but i think the idea with releasing a set of washes along with our paints really was just to allow for people if they already like us and our products and uh wanted to purchase washes along with their paints. That's just an additional option. Sure. Uh, another thing that you could add to your arsenal. That's cool.
0: And yeah, kind of the same with the metallics then?
1: Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, I, I'm not going to name any names, but I have used some metallics from some other companies and I really did not like them at all. And I thought that I could do them better. And so that was basically the challenge. Um, and really when it comes down to like our paints in general, if I didn't think that I could make, because I formulated all the recipes and we make everything in-house, including uh-huh. all the paints, if I didn't think that I could make them as good or better than like the industry standards, then I wouldn't have done it. Sure.
0: So what what, what stands out about your metallics for you?
1: Uh, they are just, just ex- extremely sparkly, um, but fine. So just packed with so much metallic pigment that uh like if you enjoy like true metallics uh then they're just extremely bright that's cool
0: and uh that's that's very very cool um
1: they so i guess one thing worth mentioning too about our metallics is that all of our paints were designed uh to be thinned basically so you can thin these metallics even with water and you're not gonna dilute them and you're not going to mess up um the dispersion of the metallic oh, really? inside of the metallic. So yeah, I've heard a lot of people kind of complain about that and that's a gripe they have with metallics, but that doesn't happen with ours. I think that's probably due to how, how dense they are.
0: Yeah. Interesting. And that you guys do sell some like paint additives for, for thinning and so forth as well. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So there's a, a paint thinning medium, which is just like a, an airbrush medium, basically more or less. So you can use that to thin paints for airbrushing or because I do suggest thinning our paints on a palette, you could use water, which I, I mostly use water personally, Mm -hmm. but if you wanted to remain, if you wanted your pigments to remain extremely saturated, like yellows for instance, are difficult even when you're using cadmium, uh, you can thin that with, uh, the thinning medium and you'll maintain more opacity that way. Very cool. And then... And then we've got uh, flow improver,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which I actually like to thin my paints for airbrushing with flow improver, yeah, um, because it's it is even uh, less viscous than the thinning medium. Uh, and then you could use that for basically like creating your own washes if you wanted, or more advanced painting techniques. And the same is true with the slow dry, which is a paint retarder, and so that's for more intermediate painters or people that just want sure. to experiment. Yeah, yeah. And you can get cool wet blending effects by using that. And then because our paints are already thick, you don't have to thin it with water and then add, or you don't have to add like a slow dry to your already thin paint from the pot or the bottle, uh-huh. and then it's too thin and you lose opacity. You can thin it with our slow dry, get it to your consistency, uh, and it's still like very brushable and workable.
0: Very cool. With, so with I, I want to ask you one last uh, hardball question here. Uh, what is the favorite your favorite paint color that you guys make?
1: So I think I already mentioned it, unfortunately. Oh yeah. Uh so Cardinal Red, it's just Cardinal Red. It, it is the most awesome, opaque, vibrant color. I love it so much. And it's I don't know, I'm not gonna name any pigments, but I don't know if you know of pigments if you would know what it is necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it's actually stupidly expensive because it is so good yeah but my my idea is so when i designed all of these paints i'm going on another tangent here i realize
0: oh feel free
1: but when i designed all these paints the idea was for them to all be as extremely opaque as i could possibly get them while still having nice a nice like range of colors
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so with with like our yellows for instance um I did mention earlier about cadmiums and we've experimented with tons of pigments and there are just certain colors, certain pigments that just work best for certain colors. Yeah. And with red, that's not necessarily the case. And we could have used a cheaper pigment that would have been okay, but this pigment is so awesome that I had to use it. And when we sell some of our paint colors wholesale uh, at like the wholesale discount to stores, we actually just lose money on those products. Oh, really? And the idea is obviously that we'll, we'll make up, for that loss. Sure, it's a loss know, layer, right? Yeah, in, in other places. But uh, yeah, so something like Cardinal Red is one of those. And it's just such a beautiful color. And it's so intense and striking. Uh, and that is probably my favorite. And then if, cool. if, if you pair that with Radar Red and you want super extreme highlights, it's just so
0: perfect. Awesome. I'm definitely going to check that out. Uh, speaking of so, places you can maybe check this stuff out in person. Um, you know, are you are you in game shops all over the country? Yeah, so we
1: have we have a handful. I can check our store map right now. We have a handful of stores in the United States, um, and then a couple in other countries. I think we have two retailers in Canada. Um, there's one in Singapore, and then one one store in South America, or sorry, South Africa. Oh, super cool! And then what in the states we've got? 40, 42 locations, so... that's great. 38
0: total. Very cool. And uh, other places you can see, you you guys have a convention schedule. I know we're going to see you at Adepticon. I'm definitely going to pick up some paints from you in person there. Um, So, Adepticon, what other shows do you do?
1: Yeah, so, actually, so in regards to Adepticon, we're donating a bunch of products to be used in, um, like, the communal hobby area, just for free. So people hang out and paint, and we'll have a bunch of stuff over there. So if you want to try anything out, you can... Yeah. And you'll be there, you can check that out. Absolutely. Um, and then we don't do a lot of conventions. Just the travel, it's very expensive and yeah. the travel's difficult and then we can't fulfill orders when we're away and on the road. Sure. And also like I enjoy when you're actually there and you're talking with people, it's incredible. But it's so much energy and effort to do those events and our yeah. business isn't driven on the the sales that we make from those events, it's really just brand awareness. Yeah, and and to talk to people. Um, so we don't do a ton of shows, but we've done Historicon, which is a HMGS event that mm-hmm. takes place in Pennsylvania every year. Uh, so we normally do like a HMGS um, Historical Miniature Wargaming Society, the Midwest uh, branch or whatever, in Pennsylvania. So we'll be there again this year. We're we'll, we're doing Adepticon. Um, we applied for an application at Gen Con, but got denied for that. Uh, and then other than those two, there's there's no other ones planned. All right. Um, just because it, it's just so much work.
0: It is. Yeah, and an expense. But yeah, that's cool. It's great <laughs> to see you doing some some conventions and stores and stuff. So, um, Britton, thank you again. Remember, if you're listening, uh, go to hugeminis.com. There'll be a link in the show notes. Uh, again, thank you for the uh, 10% discount that Brushbuilders Union members get. So if you're a member, you can check your emails. Uh, you'll get that when you sign up. Um, Britton, we really excited to see you at Adepticon, man. Thanks for taking the yeah. time to speak with me. Absolutely. This has been fun. Thank you so much, Simon. The Brushbuilders Union is a community of like-minded miniatures gamers dedicated to playing their games fully painted and supporting one another in their craft. Brushbuilders Union is here to help you stay on track with tools and a community of fellow painters to encourage you in your journey. Take the union pledge and learn more at brushweldersunion.com.